Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Welcome to episode 212 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Mark McEvely and I, Matt Jessup, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. Uh, Mark is busy this week with work-related responsibilities, and I'm honored to have Aaron Kramer on the podcast again with me today. Welcome, Aaron. Happy to be back, as always. Last night, I... uh, I watched uh, Inter Miami play Orlando. I'm now watching soccer because of Messi. Wow. <laughs> and uh, they won 3 1 last night, and uh, Messi scored two goals, and they were the one was absolutely amazing in the first That's six neat. minutes of the game. I saw a tweet or, or something. It's like even the players that are playing against him, they're just like they want to touch him or just want to be like close to him just because they're huge fans as well. The players in the oh, MLS. It's absolutely. hilarious. It, <laughs> and when it was over, um, he switched jerseys with one of the other players on the other <laughs> team. It was just fun to watch. That's cool. Well, uh, we'll dig in. I think, uh, you know, the uh, we'll start with pricing. And then, you know, the big news is going to be Fitch uh, downgrading uh, U.S. debt. But let's start with pricing. Perfect. So as we always do, this data is going to be from Y Charts. Um, and it's as of this morning, August 3rd. Um, S&P 500 index uh, month to date down 1.6%. Year to date, Aaron up 17.6%. Dow Jones Industrial Average month to date down 0.8%. Year to date up 6.4%. The NASDAQ Composite Index month to date down 2.6%. Year to date still up 33.5%, Aaron. Uh, I have a piece on this here in a little bit because of this outperformance of the NASDAQ. I think you'll be impressed about this, Aaron. Good. I'm the uh, iShares Russell 2000 ETF down 1.8% month to date, year to date up 11.9%. The Vanguard FTSE All World X United States ETF month to date down 3.1%. Year to date, that is up 9.1%. And then let's talk about treasuries. The three-month treasury rate sits at 5.53% this morning, Aaron. The two-year sits at 4.88%, and the 10-year sits at 4.08%. So just peaking its head above that 4% mark. Yep, and I've got a, I've got a little piece on treasury yield, so we're good. Look at that. We're on it today. this perfectly. <laughs> So the the news that kind of hit the market um, uh, yesterday is uh, Fitch, which is one of the rating services that kind of rates debt or bonds, uh, downgraded um, uh, American credit, U.S. credit to AA plus from AAA. Now, this has happened before in time. The last time this occurred, Aaron, as you know, is back in 2011 when Standard & Poor's did something similar. Okay. you know, this is the quote exactly from briefing.com. Quote, um, it appears market participants either agreed with Secretary Yellen or reverted to the 2011 approach following the downgrade by S&P, where treasuries, ironically, were viewed as a safe haven in light of this news. 
The thinking being that the U.S. Treasury market is still the biggest, most liquid government bond market in the world, and that as a holder of the world's reserve currency, the U.S. won't default on its debt, end quote. Um, you know, I think this is uh, clickbait. Uh, yeah, I think a lot yeah. of uh, people will look into it, but ultimately this is going to kind of have an effect on anything in the in the short term. Your comments, AC. I would agree. And I, it's it's ironic that the debt gets downgraded, then people flock to it, right? That's it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, it's like, okay, okay. You no, know, it's it's interesting. You kind of you point that out, but it, it is it's ironic, right? Yeah, but I, I completely agree with you. I think it's it's news, but it's it's not really news. Um, I, I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. And we'll we'll move on. It's it's clickbait, yeah. like you said. It is. Now, it will, it will play into the hands of what I call the perma bears. Perma bears for our newer <laughs> listeners and viewers is individuals in the marketplace that are constantly negative, right? Constantly negative. It'll play into their their narrative, but ultimately nothing there. Right. Um, so earnings season, we're in the middle of it. Earnings continue to come in, generally speaking, good. Um, and so that's definitely, uh, you know, helped the market in July. Absolutely. And uh, you're seeing some weakness here to start out August. I know that I was um, talking to uh, Mark McEvely yesterday, and he was kind of talking about just the seasonality uh, of a uh, pre-election year, the market tends to be a, um, a little softer week in August and September. Mm -hmm. So his kind of comments to me was, and I wanted to share them on the podcast for our listeners and viewers, you know, it wouldn't surprise him to see the market take a little bit of a breather uh, in August and September. And, uh, you know, a breather doesn't necessarily mean the market goes down either. Uh, you know, right. there's a lot of people it's on the not, sidelines. Yeah, a lot of people on the sidelines. Not going up quite as fast, right? Yeah, and... A lot of people on the sidelines right now waiting for an opportunity. If you've missed this rally over the past several months, you might get uh, a chance at bat coming up here in uh, in August and September. The question is, is are, are they going to take a swing? We'll see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, um, yeah. The only thing I was going to say is that for for those that are still sitting in cash, a, a pullback would probably be welcomed for them. Right. <laughs> that's right. You know, and um, you know. Is the market starting to transition to this buy the dip mentality? I think that that's something that I'm going to be watching mm -hmm. over the next couple of months. You know, I think that, you know, with just the earnings resiliency over the past 18 months in light of these higher interest rates, and you and I were talking about it last week, Aaron, yep. just because we have higher interest rates doesn't necessarily mean that risk assets are going to do badly. Right. Um, or vice versa. And so, you know, I, I just think that that's something that people are are waking up to. And um, at the end of the day, you know, the earnings resiliency is just something that's not talked about enough right now. Completely agree. All right. Here's my first piece. It's going to play right into what we're talking about. This piece is from Helena um, Meisler, and she is a, a columnist for RealMoney.com. She's worked in the past at Cowan, Goldman Sachs and Cargill. Um, so she um, is, has really good raw research. She posted this, uh, Aaron, on July 29th, and it was an update on insider transactions. So hmm. as a reminder for our newer listeners and viewers, you know, we get data on publicly traded companies on insiders. So people that are um, high up in the company could be the C-suite or directors. 
and they have to report their transactions. In essence, are they buying the stock or are they selling the stock? So one of the comments that uh, Mark would normally kind of mention right now, I, I know him really well, he'd say, there's lots of reasons why one would sell stock in their company, but there's really only one reason that they would buy it. Right. And, you know, this data, and Jenna will now put up this chart for our YouTube viewers and for our traditional podcast listeners. This will be in all of our show notes and all of our social media sites. This chart um, shows the insider transaction ratio going back about two years. And when the number's low, that's indicating a high level of insider buying. And when the number's high, it indicates a uh, not a lot of insider buying. And this ratio, uh, Aaron, is is back to a bullishness indicator. You know, anything yep. below 12 is bullish. And you're seeing a lot of insider buying. And, you know, one could look at this and say, well, wait a minute. This market has rallied so much off that October low last year. I don't want to get in now. It's expensive. Well, you got these insiders that are, you know, generally speaking, buying yep. their own company stock even now. And, and so, that tells you that tells you it's they think it's cheap, right? Or, or a is, good buy. There you go. What does that tell you? And these are insiders. They mm -hmm. have information. Inside information. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's from Helena. I thought it was a good piece. Here's that's my great. next one. Love that. This is an interesting chart about the market move over the past 252 trading days. This is from uh, Seth Golden. Uh, he's a hedge fund consultant and he's the chief market strategist at uh, Finham Group. And um, what he shows here from July 28th is an overlay of the S&P 500 um, in its first year of a major advance and how the NASDAQ uh, performs. So I'm going to quote his his tweet. I think we're back on this, you and me. Do we call it a tweet still, AC? I don't know. An X? Next tweet? Okay. We'll, we'll call it next. okay? <laughs> quote, despite the NASDAQ's extreme outperformance year to date and punditry calls for a bubble, the NASDAQ is currently underperforming even the average hmm. first year major advance from an S&P cyclical low. If you don't think this rally has legs, hold on to your later hosen. And that, <laughs> that's a quote from Seth. But what this chart shows you, and uh, Jenna will put this up for our YouTube viewers. This chart specifically is going to show going back to 1974, after the S&P has a cyclical low, that first year advance, and it overlays what the NASDAQ has done this time. Now, if we think about that outperformance year to date, right, of the NASDAQ, we went over those numbers right. about five, 10 minutes ago, and you got the NASDAQ up over 30%. What are people thinking right now about the NASDAQ? They're probably thinking, ooh, that's pricey. It's really ahead. Yeah, it's, it's overvalued, really right? Overvalued in the short term. This chart completely destroys that narrative. You think yeah. you're going to turn on the financial news networks and have someone talking about this? No, <laughs> no, no. This is why people listen to the Independent Advisors podcast. <laughs> so what you see here is it's in relative to history to 1974. This advance for the NASDAQ is actually underperforming. Interesting. And it's up 33% to start the year. And it's up 33% year to date. All right. Here's my next piece. Recession or no recession? 
there's an opinion I wanted to share. This is from Lance Roberts. He's the chief strategist at RIA Advisors. And this post is from July 25th, Aaron. It shows Goldman Sachs's GDP forecast through 2024. Jenna will put up this chart for our YouTube viewers now. Uh, this will be again in our show notes. I'd recommend that our traditional podcast listeners take a peek at this. What it shows is their estimate for GDP in Q3, the current quarter we're in, is 1%. Looks like the street on average is about a half a percent growth. Yep. Q4, the street on average is showing negative economic growth, about a negative half a percent GDP. Goldman's expecting positive one. And then in Q1 of 2024, they're at 1.9%. The street's at barely kind of positive, 0.1 yeah, or 0.2. 0.25, yeah. With all that being said, I think that you're going to start to see potential narrative shifts of are we going to have a quote-unquote soft landing? And so for our newer listeners, the definition of a soft landing is where you have the Fed raise interest rates to the magnitude that they had done and not cause a technical recession. And um, your comments, I'll let you go first, AC. I mean, I, in my view, I tend to lean towards what Goldman Sachs is seeing. Um, I, from just from my personal perspective, I'm I'm not seeing enough weakness in in the economy right now for there to be a a true recession. Even we'd have to have a pretty drastic drop in GDP the next two quarters, right? So yeah. I don't see that happening, in my opinion. Um, so I tend to agree with the, with Goldman Sachs forecast. It seems reasonable to me. Yep. Um, again, could be wrong, but um, I, I'm not seeing the the writing on the wall right now for a, a recession. I'm with you on this. You know, when I'm looking at, uh, you know, the average American consumer, I'm looking at these corporate earnings coming in, you know, when I'm out and about, um, you know, I did some travel recently. People are spending money like drunken sailors, it feels like, <laughs> you know, and again, I think it, it 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 plays into my narrative that if the average American feels safe about his or her job, they are going to continue their consumption American lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing that. So I'm just in this camp that uh, I'm in the soft landing camp. And even if it doesn't come in at 1%, but it still comes in positive in Q4, which is everyone's concerned about that quarter. I just, again, I think we're going to avoid uh, a recession. So we'll see if we're right. But I thought Goldman's um, you know piece on this was interesting, which is why I wanted to highlight it today. Yeah, well, the, the interesting thing is also it, it has to be two consecutive quarters, right? So even if it is soft or negative for one quarter, if it pops back up, you can't really call it a recession, right? You cannot. And so, again, you know, what, what Aaron's mentioning there, listeners and viewers, is that the technical definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, right? And so you're right. Even if it hits it in Q4, it might only hit it that one single quarter. Yeah, it's possible. All right, my last piece Oh, this is a great one, AC. You are going to love this. <laughs> I do love this, this one. I, this is I, from I, I read ahead Cox. a little bit. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is a great piece. Uh, Callie Cox, uh, she's uh, eToro's um, market strategist, and uh, she posts a lot of good content. So this is a post from her on, I don't want to mess this up. 
This post is from, I believe, at 725, July 25th, okay? And the, the topic of this for me is picking stocks is easy in hindsight. <laughs> so what her post is, and I'm going to quote, if you invested $1,000 into Apple when the stock went public in the 1980s, you'd have about $1.3 million today. But you would have also had to deal with 15 sell-offs of at least 20% or more, five sell-offs of at least 50%, two drops of 80%. She says picking stocks is easy in hindsight. And then next, um, Jenna will put up this chart for our YouTube viewers. This will be in our show notes for our traditional podcast listeners. She shows this chart going back to 1982. And it shows all of those high watermark to uh, valley kind of drops. And this is great to show because, you know, everyone, you know, kind of talks about, you know, oh, my gosh, Apple's doing, you know, you know, so well at this kind of point in time. It could be, right. you know, we could be talking about the last couple of decades. But then no one likes to hold it through, you know, when it really sells off. And I remember um, in our practice, as an example, uh, Apple back in 2015, 2016, there was some tough goings for, for Apple. You know, the, the street was very much questioning its iPhone strategy at that time. And, um, you know, the stock did not perform well. And so even holding it through that time period was really tough for people. And you can see that a little bit here on, on the chart, Aaron. Yeah. But, um, you know. Formally speaking, this is not a recommendation for or against Apple for uh, this topic. Rather, it's a good example of the largest market cap stock in the world right now. And it's showing you that, you know, it's tough to hold on to stocks at times, even Absolutely. really, really good names that people might perceive like an Apple. Your comment. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think this plays into investing as a whole uh, even if you're indexing or mutual funds there's still going to be periods where it's extremely painful to to stay in the market but a long term if you do it it can be extremely fruitful right so well it's said. it's not just one single stock it's it's all stocks right well 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 said you know <clears throat> i think that what happens is is you have those two guiding emotions in the market of fear and greed mm -hmm. and i say this a lot you know i think when times are bad generally speaking, people tend to not take enough risk. And when times are good, we tend to take on too much risk. Right. I think that that kind of seems to be the case. And, you know, I just um, I just want people to have it invest for their time horizon, their risk tolerance, their goals and objectives. This continues to be a market, even though volatilities come in. This is not a market that you want to try to time, in my opinion. This no. is a market that's time in the market, not timing it. Absolutely. And I think that that's pretty much all the time, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's, there's really never a good time to try to time time the market. Nope. AC, I'm going to turn it over to you. All right. I have got two quick items and I'm going to cover the, our financial planning topic of the week for us. Okay. Um, so the first, I have a tweet from Bespoke. Again, I always love their stuff. Um, and then this tweet was on August 2nd. So it was actually yesterday. Okay. And the tweet says um, it's got two charts, one of the 10 year uh, treasury and the 30 year treasury. So, again, we'll show this on our on our show notes and for for the YouTube viewers, um, the 10 year 
is testing resistance once again. So if, if you're looking at this chart, it's there's a big period of resistance and it overlays it with the 50 day moving average and the 200 day moving average for the 10 year. So um, typically once it breaks out, it's a positive sign for the overall market. So that's that's on the 10 year. It's it's facing a, a, a pretty big level of resistance. So curious to see what happens with the the 10 year over the next several months and and if it does eclipse this level and, and makes makes highs. Um, the 30 year below uh, in the same post, they actually replied to themselves is showing that it did break out above that same kind of level of resistance right around the, the four level. Um, so I think um, it's it's encouraging um, to see the 30 year breaking out. But what, what are your thoughts on, on the 10 year? Do you think it can get get over this level sometime soon? My initial thoughts is <clears throat> going back to February, the market was really freaked out about uh, the 10 year going over 4%. And then the relation was, oh man, that goes over 4%. That's really going to provide competition for stocks. Right. And, you know, you're not even seeing that narrative right now in the market. Mm -hmm. um, I still think, this is my personal opinion, I still think that we are close to, to peak interest rates, um, terminal rates in general. Okay. And so when I look at what the Fed's doing, and I'm talking specifically about the Fed, I don't think they're going to raise anymore. This is my personal opinion. And I think the cuts are going to begin early 2024. Interesting. And so that viewpoint that I have is would relate to, I don't think the 10-year is going to go up much more. Now, it's just my personal opinion. Yeah. Um, I think it's... What's your I thoughts? I would agree. I think it's um, I think it's going to have a hard time getting over that. That's, that's a big... It, it kind of long base of of resistance. So my opinion, I agree with you. I think at its worst, the Fed could raise one more time by the end of the year. But sure. inflation has come in so significantly that I'm not seeing it. Um, I think the the thing that's maybe holding the Fed back from not cutting towards the end of the year is the job numbers being so strong. That's the biggie. Is that I think they're concerned that if job numbers are too strong, people are going to be spending too much and it could elevate inflation for a slightly longer period of time but right now people are still spending and inflation is continuing to come down so i'd say at its worst one quarter percent rate hike by the end of the year but i lean more towards no rate hike and then cuts early 24. yeah i'm with you on that <clears throat> you know another thing that we got to keep an eye on as you said with jobs we get the july jobs number this friday and i think you know, when that number comes out, it's going to be at 830 um, tomorrow morning. I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on that. Right. Mm -hmm. And the job opening report, it's um, uh, always talked about the jolts report. The job openings um, really came down for July when those numbers were released a couple days ago. And I know we were kind of uh, sharing that information internally in our investment committee um, that, you know, the job openings really came in. And so, you know, if you're the Fed, you'd love to see that. Right. Right. So, um, you know, again, I still think we're kind of near um, the high point of interest e rates. E the Ten year can't go up more on the. Year. Right. But right. Um, I just think we're, we're, we're near the top. But that's my opinion. Love it. All right. Uh, one more one more tweet here from Ben Carlson on the uh, also August 2nd. And uh, again, he's a blog writer and a um, he's a wealth advisor out of Michigan as well. Um, his tweet says, after the 2008 crisis, 
every investment expert in the world was predicting lower stock market returns going forward. He says, remember the new normal cap E ratio? Mm -hmm. These are the annual returns by decade for the U.S. stock market. The 2010s was 13.6%. Uh, the 2020 so far was 11.6%. Um, and he says predicting the markets is hard. It is. So it's extremely hard. But yeah, it's um, it's interesting that every kind of major pullback, people kind of get that chronic bearishness, right? So I think we've seen the stock market's extremely resilient. The U.S. economy is resilient and returns tend to be, if you hold out long term, can be very, very good. Not saying they're going to be good all the time, like we've seen, right? But um, it, it's interesting that um, the narrative can kind of shift depending on what time period we're in. Absolutely. And again, you know, I think that it is hard to hold risk assets uh, when they're not doing well. I know it sounds simplistic to say, but going back to 2022, no one wanted stocks. You know, it was a bunch of sellers, hardly any buyers. The market has to price things to the day. And you had really severely depressed stock prices. And, you know, you're seeing a combination of reversion of the means so far this year. And there's a lot of disbelief out there. And I've said it many times in this podcast over the last roughly six weeks. It just feels like we're still in the disbelief phase of, of the market coming off that October low. And again, you know, in my personal opinion, one of the most important things for the stock market is underlying earnings. And I do am seeing these earnings continuing to come in strong. And so that is nice footing for the market. It does not guarantee the market's going to go higher by any means, but it's nice to have that fundamental uh, underneath the market that earnings are still pretty strong in general. So I want to yeah. throw that out there. Absolutely. I'm, I'm with you on that. All right. Um, last thing, are you right if I jump over to the financial planning topic of the week? Let's do it, Aaron. Perfect. Uh, it's a pretty good one. It's a, it's an article, um, by financial advisor magazine, um, by Ed slot on July 31st. So the title is secure act 2.0. Mandatory Roth catch-up retirement requirement raises con questions. Excuse me. Um, so I'll I'll read a a little blurb from the article. It just gives some good rules on what's happening going forward for higher earners. Okay. Um, in 401k plans. So a provision of the Secure Act 2.0 of 2022, scheduled to become effective in 24, is riddled with uncertainty as plan sponsors wrestle with vague language and administrative headaches and industry industry lobbying groups plead with the IRS for a delay. Um, so really, the, the SECURE Act has been major, major changes in the financial planning and the retirement world. Um, and a lot of a lot of advisors like ourselves are still looking for clarity um, from the IRS. But as the the laws have changed, there's there's been a few changes that we're, we're expecting. So uh, I'll continue with the article here. The law okay. change in Section 603 of Secure Act 2.0 says that highly paid 401k, 403b, and governmental 457 plans participants who want to make age 50 and over catch-up contributions will be required to make them on a Roth basis. Okay, so this okay. is a new rule. Um, since 2002, Congress has allowed older plan 
participants to make up catch-up contributions on top of regular pre-tax and Roth elective deferrals. In 2023, extra contributions of $7,500 can be made to supplement the 22,500 uh, 22, of regular deferrals, okay? Yep. Um, currently, catch-up contributions are automatically made to pre-tax accounts unless the plan allows Roth contributions. Um, so in this case, eligible employees can choose between pre-tax or Roth. Starting next year, participants right. whose wages from the plan sponsor in preceding calendar year that exceed $145,000 in index for inflation must have the catch-up sent to the Roth account. So essentially, it's interesting, AC. It is interesting. So essentially, if you're making over $145,000 and you're wanting to make that age 50 catch-up contribution, it's going to automatically go to Roth, which is good and bad. It's good because I think the more Roth money people can get is advantageous for retirement. Yep. The downside is a lot of these higher earners are trying to defer as much tax as possible because they're in their higher earning stages. Yeah, um, it's an interesting move by the government. It, I think it's motivated by some of the give and take they did with required minimum distributions, delaying those, well, they're yep. going to pull from somewhere, right? So this gotta is- Got to get it from somewhere. Got to get the tax that, money somewhere. Just for listeners, Roth is going to be money that is taxed now, and then it grows tax-free, comes out in retirement tax-free. So mm -hmm. the government, the IRS, is going to get those tax that tax revenue from that max $7,500 catch-up for those people now. So I think that's probably the motivation. Um, but it's, it, again, I'd say it's good and bad. Um, so there's one example here in the article that I like. Um, it says, example one, Amy, age 55, and Audrey, age 56, work for Acme Architects, uh, which offers a 401k plan. Amy, who was paid $250,000 in wages from the company in 2023, must make any catch-up contributions for 2024 to the plan as Roth contributions. Audrey, who received uh, $100,000 in wages from Acme in 2023, is not required to make her catch-up contributions as Roth contributions and can choose if she wants to do either way. Okay. That's a good example. Yeah. My my big question here, Aaron, is how um, 401k platforms are going to automatically change this next year. So let's assume that you are one of those individuals that is above 50 and you're making above 145,000. And let's say you are currently electing pre-tax uh, catch-up contributions. What are they going to do next year? Are they going to automatically switch you? Are they just going to stop it and you have to go back in and change it? I think that's something that's a, that we're going to have to keep an eye on. That's that's why it wouldn't surprise me if this gets delayed. I think a lot of the large 401k platforms, the Fidelities, the Schwabs of the world are going to have some pushback because that's a massive shift in, in technology, really, and they're coding behind the scenes to make sure that anybody who's over 50, if they're doing catch-ups, is a getting allocated to the right place automatically. So could cause a lot of headaches. And um, I don't envy envy those 401k platforms have to figure that out. <laughs> no, sir. That's going to be a headache. I can tell you that right now. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, that's the end of the podcast. I just looked up while you were speaking the um, Wall Street estimates for jobs uh, on Friday. And okay. the figure is 200,000. That's the average estimate is job gains in July of 200,000. I will note, I believe the previous month that came in light. And so we will see if uh, that number comes in 
uh, above or below 200,000 um, yep. on Friday. We will see. I think that could be a good signal for for what's ahead for interest rates. I would absolutely agree. Uh, anything else, Aaron, before we I'm sign good. off? I'm good. I'm fantastic. All right. Well, listeners and viewers, thank you for listening to episode 212 of the Independent Advisors podcast. Myself, Jenna, Aaron, uh, we hope all of you have a wonderful rest of your week and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved.